Thank you for that, Father. And now we ask that you would help us to preach your word, our Lord Jesus, who died and will be satisfied through the power of your spirit that moves in our hearts and moves throughout all of creation and flows back to your throne as praise. In his name we pray, Father. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, picking up where we left off last week. Jesus is talking to a crowd of unbaptized, non-Christian Gentiles and Jews. Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this, our Father, our Abba, our Dad. Last week I asked you, would Jesus the truth command you to lie about God to God? We figured, uh, no, probably, probably not. Which means God is your father and you are his child. And I ask you, would Jesus the truth command you to lie about God to God regarding your neighbor? And we figured, no, probably not. Which means our daddy is our neighbor's daddy which changes absolutely everything about everyone. All of Christian ethics can be summed up with these three words. Pray our Father. I'm an Our Father. I have four children who call me Dad. And what I've learned in that role not only explains all of Christian ethics, I think it systematizes theology in such a way that, well, like the whole Bible makes sense. So Jesus says, pray our Father. You know, a mother has an instant bond with the baby in her womb. One day, my wife, the mother of my children, Susan, was uh, witness to a, a terrible, or she came across a terrible accident. A man's body lay in the middle of the street. Impatient communities were, were honking their horn. Uh, the man was dead, and they were impatient. Susan said a woman jumped from her car, ran to the man in the middle of the street, put a blanket over him, turned around and began screaming at all of the commuters, he was somebody's baby! He was somebody's baby! A mother knows that, for the baby grows inside of her womb. A father discovers that, for the baby says, Abba, Dada, Daddy. When John was born, my oldest, I remember thinking, okay, that thing that just came out of there, that bloody booger thing, that's my son. I should be feeling something. Over the next year, I would hold him and speak my word to him in the hope that it would return to me. Say Abba, say Abba, say Dada. And when it did, oh, he utterly captured my heart and I felt everything. I, I knew what Susan had always known, that in that bundle of earth there was an unspeakable treasure. You could call it spirit, you could call it soul, consciousness, personhood, life, or breath of the living God. But it had the power to love and be loved, and it needed, it needed to do nothing. It was already worth everything, and in its presence I was not alone. It's not good for Ha Adam to be alone. 
One day I was sitting on the couch with my infant daughter Elizabeth. She was standing on my lap and I was feeding her crackers. Slime, boogers, saliva, goo everywhere. I remember she stopped, looked at me, then reached into her mouth, pulled out a big glob of goo, put it in my mouth, and then she smiled. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, I took my breath away in wonder. Isn't that weird? It didn't make her good. It revealed that she was good even though she didn't have knowledge of the good. In other words, she wasn't trying to be good. She just was good. She loved me. She was good for nothing, just good. Every baby is good for nothing, just good. But as every baby gains knowledge of the good and tries to make themselves good, we tend to forget that under all the success and under all the failure and all the flesh and all the striving, well, there is somebody's baby. But you see, it's much harder for a mother to forget. It's much harder for a, a father to forget. And that's why the woman screamed, he was somebody's baby. He was somebody's baby. And I think that's why Jesus says, pray, our Abba. He knows. Everybody is somebody's baby. Because God is the father of all. I took Elizabeth to the park. She stood on top of the slide and she said, see me, see me, see me, and, and I did. I clapped when she slid down the slide. It was just amazing. A woman arrived with her toddler who also slid down the slide and, well, to be quite honest, I was unimpressed. Then Elizabeth stood on top of the slide again and said to the woman, see me, see me, see me, and the woman wouldn't even look. I once told you how this like outrageous anger just welled up in me at that point, and I, and I remember fantasizing about grabbing this board and smacking the woman in the head. I was just about to get up when I think God whispered to me, Peter, that woman is my little girl. She's my baby and you don't see her. I remember standing in line at the grocery store with Jonathan. He was standing on his tiptoes, holding up his Mickey Mouse candy Pez dispenser to this young, young teenage uh, clerk, yelling, see Mickey Mouse, see Mickey Mouse, see Mickey Mouse, and finally, like, aggravated, the young guy, he turned and he looked at John and said, yeah, kid, I see Mickey Mouse. I remember grabbing the railing behind me, Grabbing the railing so that I wouldn't jump over the counter, grabbed the kid by the collar and said, look at the Mickey Mouse, damn it! It's the best Mickey Mouse in the whole, and what I meant by that is my son is amazing and you don't see him. I think I heard it then. <laughs> Peter, this boy at the register, he's my son, he's my baby, and Peter, you don't see him. George Floyd, the black man so senselessly killed by Derek Chauvin, the white police officer of Minnesota, he's somebody's baby. And Derek Chauvin is also somebody's baby. And both of them our children of God. Oh, that's easy to forget when you're hurt and scared 
and angry. Easy to forget, but somebody won't forget. And yet you have an adversary who's constantly tempting you to forget. Jesus said to some Jews who, quote, had believed in him. He, he, he said, you are of your father the devil. He's the father of lies. See, the devil can't father people. But he can father lies about people. False selves. False selves that we construct in fear and pride and lust and shame. We construct a false self with knowledge of good and evil, taken at first in ignorance and then taken in shame. We each construct a self that we present to the world, a self that may impress for a time, but a self that will eventually self-destruct and rot and die. And yet under that false self, there is something true and something eternal, even the breath of God, somebody's baby. And that somebody cannot love you any more, any less than he already does. For that somebody is God, and he loves you with all he has and all that he is. Not because you deserve it, but because he deserves you. And he deserves your neighbor. So Jesus says, pray, our Abba. What does the good Abba do when his children don't see each other? You know, life was pretty wonderful until one day Jonathan said, I'm happy. And Elizabeth, she said, no, I'm happy. And John said, no, I'm happy. And she said, no, I'm happy. They would argue like this in the back of the car. I'm happy. No, I'm happy. I love you, Daddy. No, I love Daddy. No, I love you, Daddy. And even Daddy loves me, not you. They never said that out loud because they knew that that was anathema. But you know what? I think all of us think it every time we compete. I win because you lose. And what is it that all of us want to win? The good? Who is God, who is love, that is life, who is our Father? So we compete for love and in the process we crucify love. I'll never forget the night I knelt by the bed of one of my sons as in agony he broke down in trembling sobs telling me of this fear that I might love another child, another of my children, more than him. I do not know of any words that could adequately describe the aching longing in my heart in that moment to find a way to show my son, my baby, I see you, oh, and I love you with all I am and all I have. You see, that longing wasn't simply mine. That was my Abba's longing in me for my son. This longing that he might even, maybe even, might even wound me one day and I could bleed for him that I might prove to him that my love, this love, 
was unconditional. Our Father does not love each of us just the same. Because you see, each of us is different. But our Father does love each of us the same amount, and that is with all he has and all that he is. He lets, aphiomi in Greek, he lets, he lets each of us do our worst to him so we, he can do his best to us. He, he arranges for each of us to take his life so we can watch him give his life to each of us in a garden on a tree. So Jesus says, pray our Abba, our Father in, in heaven. You may have had a horrid Father on earth, but you have another Father in heaven. And Jesus has been telling us the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My children have the power to hallow my name, for I have given them that power. They have the power to reach into my chest and squeeze my heart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A spoiled child prays, my kingdom come. My will be done. And then that child wonders why earth does not feel like heaven. Spoiled child gets what they want and can no longer want what they get for they have killed it. Every child wants his or her father's heart. Imagine that this is the heart of your father. From the bosom of the father. Hanging on a tree in a garden. Imagine that this is the good and the life. This is the substance of everything. The substance of everything that you want. How will you get it? You could take it like a spoiled child takes the life of the Father. You could take it the way the Pharisees took the life of Jesus on the tree in the Garden of Calvary. You could take the king of the kingdom, but then his kingdom wouldn't come because you just crucified the king. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, you just violated his will and nailed it to a tree. Spoiled children want the good but don't know who or what the good is. So they take the good and so kill the good and discover that now they're slaves of of evil. So how will you get it? The heart of the Father. You could take it and consume it. Or perhaps you could receive it because it has been given. Perhaps it's forgiven, body broken and bloodshed from the foundation of the world. The kingdom is at hand for the heart of the king is at hand and hanging on a tree 
in a garden, a garden in the sanctuary of the temple that is your own soul and in the temple of your brother's soul, the temple of your sister's soul. So pray, our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He can't give you your daily bread if in your mind you think you've already earned your daily bread, deserved your daily bread taken your daily bread. What does he mean by daily bread? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the life. I am the living bread. This is from the Gospel of John. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. As Israel wondered through the wilderness, the children of Israel on their way to the promised land, our Father provided daily bread from heaven called manna, which means, manna means, what is it? I love that name. What is it? Well, now we know. It's Jesus from the bosom of the Father, the life of the Father, the good. It's the good in everything that's anything. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. Well, each day these Israelites, uh, they gathered manna, and those that gathered little had no lack, and those that gathered much had nothing left over, and if they tried to hoard it or store it until the following day, it spoiled. You see, that is not a capitalist a capitalistic or a capitalist economy where some get rich while others go hungry. And that is also not a socialist economy where everyone is just the same. That's the economy of a family governed by a father who knows that each child is unique, but each child is equally valuable and that the party doesn't really even start until all the children come to know that that's true. So pray our Abba, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. You might notice that Jesus said, give us our and forgive us our, not give me my and forgive me my. Abba, forgive us our debts. Huh. What do we owe to God the Father? Well, how about existence? His name is Yahweh, I am that I am. He is beingness, he is existence. Haven't you ever wondered why do I exist? What is existence? How can I be conscious of my own existence? What is the I that is observing me? What am I, what is or who is I am? The way Americans talk about rights and freedom indicates that most folks, most Americans, I think, assume that they are their own uncreated creator. But maybe we owe existence itself to our Father. We owe, at least until we acknowledge, that everything, everything is grace. For reality itself has been given, even forgiven from the foundation of the world to each of us. We owe our Father gratitude for existence. And how about life itself or himself? Where did you get your life? Did you take it? 
or receive it. Jesus said, I am the life, as if there's only one life. Jesus said, I am the life, and for thousands of years the Father taught us that the life is in the blood. God's breath, doctors even know this now, God's breath, God's spirit is in the blood, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning, says the Lord, Yahweh. That's Genesis 9-3, and the beginning of the sacrificial system. Like spoiled children, we all take the life in arrogance until we learn to surrender the life in worship. And then God delights, absolutely delights in giving it back to us as a river, a river that never, ever, ever stops, a river of life. It's the Father's life that's in the blood and it's his spirit, his breath in us. It's that breath that cries, Abba, Father. So you see, even the ability to trust the Father's grace is the gift of his spirit. Forgiven to you on the tree. Faith is the gift of grace. God forgives himself to you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And God forgives your very self to you, your true self, liberated from your false self, the lie that you must create yourself. You yourself are a debt. You yourself are a debt that you think you must pay until you discover that you yourself are the gift that has already been purchased with blood. So have you been forgiven much? Abba, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is verse 12. And lead us not into temptation, or that word can be translated and often is translated testing. Why would God the Father lead us into temptation? Why would the Father put us in a garden with an evil talking snake and a poison tree? Why would the Father test us? Well, not so that he could learn something about us, but maybe so that we could learn something about him. We'll talk about that more next time why God would lead us into temptation and why he would tell us to ask him to not lead us into temptation. That's a fascinating thing to, to think about. Verse 12, our Abba, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, literally the evil one. In some of the later ancient manuscripts, another line is added at this point, a line that we usually also say in the prayer, usually when we say it together in church, and it's a perfectly good line, but it's important to realize that Jesus probably didn't say it, at least not here. Instead, he went from this last line in the prayer about the evil one directly into his most ardent warning in all of Scripture. I believe that it is a warning that the institutional church has been teaching the children of God to basically ignore for the last 1,500 years. It's a warning against committing the unforgivable sin. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, verse 14. For if you, Jesus says, forgive people their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That should get your attention. I think he just said, if you don't forgive, you're going to hell. Where sons of the kingdom weep and gnash their teeth in outer darkness. In Matthew 12, Jesus says this, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Think about that. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. That's huge, just let that sink in. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Will be forgiven anthropoi, will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever, or whatever, the word can be translated whatever, blasphemes against the Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Of course people freak out and say, God, have I committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Just about every answer I've read in every commentary just seems woefully in inadequate. Some say Christians cannot commit blasphemy against the Spirit. Some say it's suicide or some such sin that they seem to have picked. Some say it's rejecting grace, but don't we like do that every, every day? Some say it's this unknown point wherein a person says no to the Holy Spirit just one too many times. That will really make you neurotic. Some say it's calling the good work of the Spirit the bad work of the devil, which is what the Pharisees just did right before Jesus says this and what we surely do just about every time we judge somebody well I think there are a lot of silly answers and there's one obvious answer because Jesus just said it one sin won't be forgiven and thereby render all other sins unforgiven and that sin is not forgiving people their trespasses that's what Jesus just told us the Pharisees you see in Matthew 12 they're offended that our father forgives and so they blaspheme they speak against his spirit his his breath the spirit blasphemed is the breath that's in the blood that circulates through the body of ha-adam humanity the spirit blasphemed is the spirit of grace which is the life of love who is god our father the spirit blasphemed is the one that cries abba father from the depths of the sanctuary within every child of God. And the thing that blasphemes that spirit is your ego. The product of the lie that you are not a little child of God because you have saved yourself, created yourself, and justified yourself. It must die in order that you can live. The thing that kills it is forgiveness. Forgiveness destroys the old man and says the new man, the new Adam, the new Anthropos, the new man, the new woman, the new man, the, the eternal man, free. Because you see, once I say our Abba, our Daddy in heaven, once I pray me and my enemy's Daddy in heaven, once, once you say Abba, forgiveness becomes the obvious choice for your enemy is your Abba's baby, your brother, your sister. 
There is one sin that the good father will not forgive, and that is unforgiveness. And now you may be thinking to yourself, holy crap, I think I committed the unforgivable sin. Yep. Wouldn't surprise me at all. To forgive, aphiomi in Greek means to let or to allow. If you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that what that person did was right. Usually it means just the opposite. It, but it means that you will release that person from the debt incurred to you by their wrong. A few years ago, my son Coleman totaled my little blue truck. It was at the intersection of Highway 6 and Colorado 93, coming home from, from Boulder, school in Boulder, because he was tailgating a guy who was drunk and decided to turn a U-turn at the last second. But because Coleman was tailgating, he ran my truck into his truck and, and told it. Coleman owed me a truck. And I forgave him that truck. It means he no longer owes me a truck. I took a debt and turned it into a gift. If I hadn't forgiven him the truck, it wouldn't mean that I would then proceed to torture him with infinite pain for all eternity. It would mean that he would still need to buy me a truck. You know, there were times in Coleman's life that, that I might have made him buy me a truck, but not because I hated him, but because I loved him and I thought he would, needed to do, I thought he needed discipline. But as it was, I forgave him the truck. And let this be our little secret, okay? Just, just me and you, because I don't want this to get back to Coleman. I was glad he crashed my truck. Because you see, I wanted to show my son that I love him more than a truck. <laughs> and I will always love him with all that I am and all that I have. I loved forgiving Coleman. But if Coleman were to come to me and say, Dad, I hate John. I will never ever forgive John for the things that he's done to me or you. I will not forgive my brother John. Oh, I would look at Coleman and I would say, Coleman, that is a debt that I will not forgive. You did not have to pay me for the truck, but you will have to pay me for your unforgiveness with forgiveness. Or you may not eat at my table ever again. You will forgive John, but I will not forgive your ego. It must die. It's not who you are. I know who you are. You are my son, and I am your father, and John is your brother. And I love you both with all I am and all I have. You may remember that Jesus told the story basically just like that about a father who had two sons, and the younger son broke his heart, took all his, his, well, took his things, his share of the inheritance, basically said, I wish you were dead, and took his stuff. When the son returned with this scheme to save his tail and take even more from his father, the father ran out to him on the road and just showered him with uh, abundant, endless mercy, and that boy repented. And at that, the father began to party. 
And at that, the older brother refused to party. He was unwilling to forgive his brother and unwilling to forgive his father because of all his forgiveness. He refused to party. He actually left the party and went and stood in the outer darkness weeping and gnashing his teeth. Was he cast out by grace? Or did he cast himself out with resentment? I don't know. But this I do know. The father cast himself out with his son. The father went out to his son, now lost in darkness, gnashing his teeth, and there in the darkness he said this to his boy, and I quote, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Your little brother. But you see now the older brother that wouldn't forgive, he was now lost. And now the father had chosen to go stand with him just as Jesus, the word of the father, now stands with these Pharisees telling their stories and issuing this warning. The unforgivable sin is unforgiveness. So you might wonder, if God does not forgive our unforgiveness, does he commit the unforgivable sin such that he remains unforgiven? I don't think he commits sin, but he certainly suffers unforgiveness. He descends into the outer darkness with every arrogant brother, and there suffers the pain of all our unforgiveness, our hell. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to him. Even if, especially if the least of these is yourself, in the end, you must forgive yourself which is to die to your false self and liberate your true self made, already made in the image and likeness of God. You must forgive for unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin and eternal life is the commandment of the Father. The Father suffers the pain of unforgiveness until all his children surrender to his spirit and forgive. See, the father cannot enjoy the banquet until his children learn to enjoy each other. Grace is what's for dinner. And as always, the father pays the tab. Roast lamb is on the menu. Broken bread, the best wine, red wine, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, prophesies Isaiah. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. It will be said of him in that day, behold, this is our God. Let us rejoice in his salvation. About 20 years ago, I began to say, you know, I think our dad might actually mean that. 
In fact, I think he may have actually even like kind of done that in Jesus, the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, the whole world, the judgment of the Father, our, our older brother who chooses to forgive, who lifted his head on the tree in the garden and prayed, Father, forgive, and opened the door to the seventh day, the Father's rest, the banquet without end, because it is the end. I had thought, that my fellow pastors had hoped that God would do this, that God would save all. But after months of trying to show through Scripture that our Father will save all, and their apparent fear that He might save all, in horror I began to realize that maybe really, we really, we really don't want our Father to save all. That in the words of David Bentley Hart, our secret treasure, our secret treasure is this hope that some can never be forgiven. It's the hope of being proved right when others are wrong. The hope of being admired when others are despised. The hope of being envied by those who weep and gnash their teeth in outer darkness. And you see, that's terrifying. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thirteen years ago, they put us on trial. They told me that I had to publicly confess that God, quote, took pleasure in choosing to never forgive some. Well, I, I could not confess faith in unforgiveness, for it's not the end of the story. Jesus is the end. And I would not confess faith in unforgiveness because I was terrified of committing the unforgivable sin. And I was terrified of teaching you and teaching others to commit it. To cherish unforgiveness is to cherish a place in the outer darkness where men and women weep and gnash their teeth. It's not that the Father won't go to that place with you and plead with you till the end of the ages. It's not that God won't ultimately destroy your arrogant flesh and free you from the bondage of your ego with consuming fire. It's not that you won't ever be saved. It's that I want us to be saved now. I want us to be set free now, I want us to see the work of the devil destroyed now. I don't want any of us to go to hell at all. And so in the name of Jesus, I forgive everyone, including all of us, all of us who harbor unforgiveness in the depths of our soul. In Jesus' name, I forgive. Unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin and it's high time that the institutional church stopped teaching people to commit it. We'll talk more about this next time in, in two weeks, but now you, you, you may be thinking, well, Peter, for me, it's not like a theological proposition. It's like this existential nightmare because I was abandoned. I was raped. I was abused. I was tormented by those that were supposed to love me. I don't think I have the strength to forgive. Yeah. You're right. Because it wasn't just your life they took. It wasn't just your honor that they defiled. It wasn't just your blood that they shed. Do you see that it all belongs to Jesus? 
And if you think that it was simply yours, it shows that you already took it from him just like everybody else. But with forgiveness, you gain it all back. You lose it and find it as well as the kingdom and the king of that kingdom, your Lord, they, and I'm talking about the ones that hurt you, they, they incurred an unspeakable debt, an absolutely tremendous debt, but Jesus bleeds enough blood to turn every debt into a gift, the gift that constitutes the very kingdom of God. Corrie Ten Boom was imprisoned in Ravensbrück concentration camp along with her sister Betsy, who suffered an agonizing death at the hands of the Nazi guards. Just a few years after the war, Corey spoke, in, spoke, 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 she spoke in a church in Munich, and she chose to speak on forgiveness. At the end of the message, a man came forward. Immediately, she recognized him, but he, because there were a lot of them, he did not recognize her He'd been one of the most sadistic, one of, the, one of the most cruel. She froze. And he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, and since then, well, I've become a Christian. I, I know God has forgiven me, but could I hear it from you? And then he held out his hand. Frozen, she said. Frozen in hatred and horror, in her heart she just screamed, Jesus, help me. She, she, she writes that it was all she could do just to lift her hand and touch his, but then she describes a miracle. Something like electricity shot down her arm and into his, and then her whole being, she says, was just flooded with warmth, like a, like a body being filled with blood. She cried out, I forgive you, brother. That means they have the same daddy. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And then, and then she writes this in, 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 in her book. I had never known God's love so intensely. I realized it was not my love. I had tried and I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, she did not blaspheme the Spirit. She surrendered to the Spirit. The Spirit, the breath of God, the life that's in the blood. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in, in my blood. Now, you're kind of like a cup. You're like an, an empty earthen vessel. Here's an empty earthen vessel. Here's another empty earthen vessel. This earthen vessel, this empty earthen vessel needs to be forgiven. <laughs> But you see, you cannot forgive until you see that you are forgiven. And you, you cannot be forgiven if you 
Pastor, it's too hard. Too if you don't forgive, well, then you cannot be forgiven. Oh gosh, you get the picture. Forgiveness is like a river that flows from the throne through all of creation and back to the throne. It's a river. It's the river, the river of life. You must forgive as you are forgiven. Forgiveness is life. Forgiveness is the dance Forgiveness is the party. Forgiveness means to let. When you forgive, you let the river flow. When you you, you forgive, you let the kingdom of God, the dance, eternal life. You, you let the new creation, you let the kingdom of God be. When you forgive, you let your father enjoy his banquet. So say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I forgive. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising the one on the throne and the Lamb. Would you let it be? Maybe all of heaven is waiting for you to let it be. And I'm Mother Mary. I'm the church. And if I was doing my job, I was speaking a word of wisdom, which is Jesus. And he's the word of the Father, and he says, please, let it be. I have bled more than enough blood for you to let it be. Oh, I, I know you're hurting. But look at how I hurt for you. Together, let's let it be. So maybe in your, I don't know, you were thinking about someone. Maybe you're thinking about all those people that make you wear masks or those people that won't wear masks or those people that are throwing riots that don't make any sense or the, or the policeman that kneeled on George Floyd or your ex-wife or your dad who abused you. Just say it with me. In your heart, think of them. And now say, in the name of Jesus, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I forgive them. Amen. Uh, sorry, got worked up. But you know, there's an awful lot of fear right now. I mean, gosh. Protests and, and riots, over 100,000 people dead. People about to have riots because their liberties are being taken away. Other people about to riot because people uh, won't submit to their liberties being taken away so they could live. Everybody's afraid. It might help to remember that you were not born into this world to save your life, to learn to save your life. See, that's the assumption every time you turn on the news, that we were born into this world to learn how to survive. But you were not born into this world to learn how to survive. You were not born into this world to learn how to save your life. You were born into this world to learn how to lose your life, that you only think is life. In other words, you were born into this world to learn to forgive. Is it not obvious that class is in session? <laughs> Jesus is your teacher. He even makes you his body. So let it be. Let the kingdom of God be. In the name of Jesus, believe the gospel and live the gospel. Amen.